0: Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive.
1: All right, good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. We are Rachel Marshall and Bruce Wayner, your co-hosts for this show and today we are going to be having a conversation with you about how to maximize your ibc policy now this is kind of going to be like an ibc 201 level course and really this is for the person who might already have an infinite banking policy you're in a position where you're saying okay i have this in place maybe it's been a couple of years maybe it was last year and now I'm in a position where I want to maximize this policy, get it doing more for me. Possibly add on additional policies. I'm thinking, do I want them on myself, my kids, my grandkids, my parents, my business partner? And then, how do I manage this system of policies and figure out which one do I take a loan from? Which loans do I pay back? Do I pay the PUA's? So we we want to really answer these questions for the person who's really wanting to take their IBC policy to the next level. Now, if you Um, have questions we would love for you to jump in and ask them as we're live on YouTube and I think we're on Facebook Bruce did you see if we're on Facebook I I don't see it on my personal page here
2: I'm actually logging in right now
1: so if we're missing you on Facebook hopefully we'll be able to oh we are live on Facebook as well so that's great so you're welcome to pop in your questions and comments as we go out through this show throughout this show I guess is how you say that and um If you are wanting to know, we're going to split this into about a three-part series, and we may have additional questions that take it beyond a three-part series, but there's just so much meat in here that we want to cover, and we want to keep these episodes pretty tight and compact as well. So today, we are digging into specifically um, how to maximize the IBC policy that you have. Bruce, thanks so much for joining me for this really important conversation today.
2: Yes, I don't. I don't want this to come across as being as being condescending, but I think many many people uh, try to make this much more difficult than it really is. I mean, this is really just about storing as much capital as you possibly can into an institution that's a financial institution. So uh, I've made this comment many other times. You know, there's only so many financial institutions. There's banks. There are insurance companies, there's pension plans, there's Wall Street, and there's insurance companies. Um, and so you're just trying to figure out where should I store my capital? And then how do you maximize it in each one? So that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, um, I think this will be pretty clear cut. And you know, it's all about taking action. And then once you, a lot of this stuff is actually caught rather than taught. And I think Mm. much of our things in our lives Mm. are like that. You actually have to get into it. um, And the teacher appears when the student is ready in that situation so that, Oh yeah, I understand what you guys are talking about because I'm actually, I'm actually using it now. So I think that's what people need to keep top of mind as they listen.
1: Bruce, I think that's a really good point. And I think if somebody I'll just talk to you right now, if you are, Not using IBC yet, I would encourage you to go check out our other content rather than try to really understand this um, conversation we're going to have today. Because sometimes I think there can be that challenge to say, let me understand everything before I get started. And Bruce, what you just said is so true. Getting started, getting in action, I guess that's a bad way to say that, getting into motion, getting started is going to be the thing that unfolds more questions for you and makes the 201 level information more valuable than if you are standing at the gate and have not yet started IBC. So, Bruce, let's just say we've already been in a policy, say, four, five, six, seven, eight years. What should we be thinking about in terms of maximizing that policy. I know you have policies that are longer than that. Ours are too. I can't even remember. I think our policy is about six. No, I think we're about seven years in. I would have to look it up. I should probably have done that before the show. (laughs) But for somebody in our position or maybe who just has one policy, what's something that they can be thinking of using this policy more than just sitting it on the shelf?
2: What's interesting is, um, you know, I, Although Nelson has left this earth now, you know, Nelson and I used to talk about this um, maximizing, you know, every single dollar that you can put into a policy. And he was always uh, impressed by producers that could actually help people uh, figure out all their cash flow and then actually put as much of their capital into these as possible. Uh, Not everybody's comfortable with that. And it gets a little confusing because in Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, he actually talks about paying interest to yourself. And then some advisors, producers, insurance agents, whatever you want to call them, uh, they actually tout this, you're paying interest to yourself. And that's not totally true. They didn't read Nelson's book because uh, if you're just paying back, if you're just paying back the interest uh, on your loan, that interest actually goes to the insurance company. Yep. If you pay over that uh, interest, and that's what Nelson was saying, he says, well, if they're charging you 5%, why don't you charge yourself 10% and that additional 5% is interest you're paying back to yourself. It's mm-hmm. not interest that they're charging you, it's interest that you're charging yourself. It's a way to increase your savings. Well, the only way you can do that is with the, is with the PUA writer, the, the paid up additions writer,
3: mm-hmm. And
2: the paid up additions writer." So now, you know, people see that and say, well, I want to get, um, I want to do that. W- well, if you're already maximizing the paid up additions rider, then you cannot pay yourself more back, right. but that's, but that's okay because you're maximizing the paid up additions rider. When you maximize the paid up additions rider, you actually, uh, that is where you're supercharging the savings component of it. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean that all of it should be your paid up additions writer, uh, but, that is something that you should be doing. You should be trying to run as much capital through there as possible. But let's so that say. Would be like,
3: oh, go ahead, Bruce. No, let,
2: no go ahead. And I'll go I was going to say,
1: so say you had started a policy for um, $50,000 a year. And you're in a position where you maybe didn't make the full paid-up additions payments for a year or two. And it depends on what company you're with, how many years back you can catch up, right? But say you're in a position where you haven't funded all the premium in that you could have funded. Maybe you paid from policy values one year, maybe you paid base only one year, maybe you paid full PUA's for two years and then you paid just base another year and you have some, some catch up room that you could add more PUA's then you can either just pay them in directly through premium or by that extra interest paying back your policy loan. Right?
2: Yes. Um, and actually that's a very good point. Uh, there's all kinds of ways that you can uh, pay your paid up additions. Most of the time, because we do a very thorough job, we try to maximize and just pay all the PUA's in the first year. And then you pay all the PUA's in the second year. Mm-hmm. It's when you get down the road and life gets in the way, something happens. COVID is a great example. Mm-hmm. You know, COVID happens and some people lost their job or they're self-employed and they didn't have uh, enough money for, for the The full PUA. Well, they pay their base in term, and then they just didn't pay their into their PUAs, and now people are coming back and saying, "Hey, I want to put money into my PUA now." Well, you can always catch up within the year, Mm -hmm. but depending on the companies that we represent, uh, some of them will let you catch up. um, The average of what you paid the last seven years. Some of them will let you uh, catch up. Only what you paid the last couple years. There's a variety. You have to look at the contracts. Now that's a really good point, Rachel, to, to let everybody understand why there's even um, a limitation on the PUA catch-up provision.
1: Oh, that's a good. Yeah, let's talk about that.
2: Yeah, let's talk about it because I actually have some that are they're unlimited uh, from years ago, and what was happening from what I when I've talked to the vice presidents of, of a couple of these companies and the and the underwriters. Is if they would allow the people to just have unlimited catch up, what, what they found were happening is people would get a terminal illness or they were on their deathbed and they would go to their spouse and say, Hey, I can still put $200,000, $300,000 in my policy, my paid up additions, and I'm going to die. And that's actually going to boost my death benefit by two or three times. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and sell all these other things, their stocks, bonds, or take the money out of savings, or even take a loan against the house and fill up the PUAs. And then they die very shortly afterwards. Well, as an actuary, that's not a good thing because Mm -hmm. you only have the insurance company only has that money for a short period of time. And they've actually doubled, or in some cases, tripled, depending on your age, how much the death benefit is. So the Mm -hmm. way that the insurance company solved this about 15 years ago, is they put some limitations, in. and most of the limitations are they just look back the last seven years and they say, "Hey, whatever you put in on the average of the last seven years, um, you, you can catch catch up unlimitedly in the last seven years." But after that seventh year, is what you ever what you put in on, in the average is what you can only put going forward, and that actually helps not only the insurance company. Uh, stay viable, but it helps you because you want the, the insurance company to stay, to stay viable.
1: You know, I think that brings up a good point as well, that it's in your interest and in your favor to go ahead and fund your premium as much as possible every year, because that not only grows your death benefit, it grows your cash value. It also puts you in a position where in the future, if you want to put in as much paid-up additions as possible, you're able to fully fund your policy. So just keeping the ball rolling and putting in as much premium as possible, if you are committed to the IBC concept, it makes sense then to say, let's fund it as it was designed and fund it as much as possible. Of course, there is the flexibility to be able to pay Less than the full premium or pay from policy values if you do come into a hard position or a challenging, difficult year. But at the same time, really, you do want to think about funding this as much as possible. And then, um, Bruce, there could be another situation where somebody is in uh, a place where maybe they have the policy and say they're 10 years in and they've taken a policy loan or two or three or five and you're utilizing the cash values and you're buying real estate and you're repaying the loans and you're buying. Um, other investments and you're repaying loans, and you're in a position where you really are. Um, you're you're using this policy as a workhorse. I mean, it's not just a pretty thing on the shelf. It's not just waiting for the death benefit to kick in at that unfortunate time at the end of your life. It really is something you're using during your lifetime. Now, what I would say is that often, if you're in a position of thinking, "Well, I have additional cash," You want to also think about paying off those policy loans. And the reason that you want to pay off policy loans is that every time you do, you fully free up all of that capital to be able to be used for another opportunity. It's kind of like, in a way, it's kind of like a a line of credit. Once it's paid off, then the full balance becomes open and available for you. And that just gives you additional liquidity to be able to use for a next opportunity.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's there's no better place, in my opinion, than to store your capital. Then in your your policy, so paying off the policy loans as soon as that check clears, um, then that that amount of capital is available again. So there should be no fear about the lack of accessibility of that. Mm-hmm. Now we always talk about fifteen minute money. You know, you want to have the ability to go down to the bank and get money in fifteen minutes if you need it, because policy loans, you know. Uh, the companies we use, people cringe or that they, they the companies cringe when I say this, but you know they say five business days they actually get it to you ninety nine percent of the time faster than that and and they're all they're all working on technology where they're getting it to you very, very quickly now, so um yes, you just pay those policy loans off and then you'll just have access to that capital again
3: so
1: I mean besides using your policy, as we talked about, as a workhorse, taking loans and repaying them, fully paying your paid-up additions, catching up any paid-up additions as possible, you're really doing as much as possible within that that individual policy. And some people ask us at the outset, before they start a policy, well, what if I design it for $50,000 this year, but I come into $300,000 the next year, and I want to really put in all that cash? Well, I think really some of the question then becomes. Are you going to have cash one time that you need to be able to put in somewhere? Or are you going to have a consistent stream of income that you foresee continuing into the future that you can fund a policy with? Or are there additional places in your life that you can find cash that you aren't spending right away? And Bruce, we can even talk about some of the opportunities in a business or quarterly taxes and things like that, but being able to put more dollars, even at your current income level, into a policy. So let's just go ahead and talk about some of those situations where you might be saying this one policy is not yet, it's not enough, and I want to do something more.
2: Yeah, I think the limit, and and we talk about this with clients all the time. The limitations, there's limitations, but the limitations are actually better than, I'm, I'm sorry, not better, but they don't outweigh the benefits of the policy. It's, it's interesting, we're, we're uh, in uh, June of 2021, and we're talking about the COVID vaccine, and doctors are always saying, yes, there's this slight chance that you might have, this might happen with the vaccine, but it far outweighs The benefits of not being vaccinated because you have a greater risk. Well, you have to look at your policies in the same way. So, if there's lack of liquidity, uh, then you have to say, What am I looking for that's going to outweigh that lack of liquidity uh, down the road? And so, that's the same thing that you're saying is, I have $300,000 and I can't put it on. The IRS does not allow me to put all this money into. A policy at one time, but that but that is okay because the benefits of it growing tax free, along with a leveraged death benefit, along with possible long term care uh, situations, along with having your own capital, Mm -hmm. uh, so you don't interrupt the compounding effects. You're always looking for a cost analysis on that. What am I giving up, and what am I getting? And so that's what you have to consider. Yes. If you just have one $300,000, you know, windfall, first of all, the insurance company has to determine, depending on how much life insurance you already have, whether you're even going to qualify for a lot more life insurance or not. Mm-hmm. Because as I said this on the show before, the, an underwriter once told me, we protect estates. We do not make estates. In other words, they're not, yes, you, they're not going to make you worth more dead than alive. Uh, People say that to me a lot of times, sometimes joking, sometimes seriously. They say, well, I don't wanna be worth more dead than I am alive. And I always say that's impossible Mm because the insurance companies will never give you more death benefit so that you're worth more dead than you are alive. It's just, it's a a total impossibility. So that's what you have to to think about.
1: Yeah, to piggyback on that a little bit, there's something called human life value, HLV or some companies will call it human life economic value, but really it's a calculation the insurance company does to figure out what is the maximum value of death benefit we can place on someone's life and it's a factor of your income your age and your assets really if you kind of really boil the whole thing down and they say okay if you're making x amount of dollars per year you have this many more working years left let's calculate what those what those dollars would be and insure you for what you would have earned at your current earning capacity if for any reason your life was stopped short somewhere along the way. And that's really what it boils down to. It, it just means there's a maximum amount of death benefit that anyone can get. And so that question then comes up, we think that everyone should also be insured to the most that they can get. Now, that doesn't mean it's all IBC. That means that you probably are also supplementing with some term life insurance to make sure that you get the death benefit As high as possible, because that's what's going to take care of your family and loved ones if you did pass away too soon. So, one thing you're thinking about is not only do I want to think about additional IBC policies, that's your place to store cash. But in terms of just life insurance in general, you want to be thinking how do I maximize my death benefit by adding on term policies that also will supplement? And keep in mind, the term is there for a term period of time, the whole life policy is continually increasing death benefit if you fully fund with the PUAs. And what's happening is that as the term expires, you're having uh, your, your total death benefit is higher and increased by that point. So that was a little bit of a bunny trail here. But let's come back to the idea of, okay, I have this one policy. Now I either have additional capital that is coming in in a windfall or i have increased income than when i first put the policy in place and i can sustain another 5 10 20,000 a month that's going to go into a policy but i can't put it into policy a that i already have in place or i'm finding other places that i can get cash from even if my income maybe hasn't increased and i want to figure out another place to store this additional capital while i'm not yet using it so bruce Is there anything else you want to say maybe about the situation that would warrant somebody saying, okay, I have one policy. I'm really ready to think about another policy.
2: Well, I I mean, I've done this five times. I have six policies. So you really do have to look at, I believe, yes, windfalls are great. um, But if windfalls are not going to be um, able to be sustained, you know, for another policy, you really have to look at what is my sustained cash flow. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of times, windfalls will help uh, sustain cash flow because they could, they'll they'll pay off poor debt, you know, and they'll make additional cash. Uh, for yeah, you. if you
1: invest that in something that's going to cash flow, then you do have a cash flow stream from that. Or you could break a windfall into chunks over ten years and use that as a stream of income as well, right?
2: Correct. Correct. What I found, Rachel, by doing this, and you know, I've I've been on. Personally, and I've been on teams, and we've we've done this over a thousand times with people. Is people that uh, uh, think they even understand that IBC, and they're going to uh, they want to go for this chunk over several years. They're not disciplined enough. Even my best clients are not disciplined enough to actually hang on to this windfall, and so that's where an advisor that to help them along the way. If that's what they truly want, the mm-hmm. other thing—the other thing that I—I uh, think we're, we want to talk about—is uh, when you're adding another policy, do you then lower the premium payment in your current policy by not using, not filling up the PUAs, and actually using it to start a new policy? Mm-hmm. And I would say that depends, and I—and I know we talk about that all the time, but what does it depend upon? PUA's uh, get you death benefit, but it's a paid up addition. That's what PUA stands for. It literally means a little paid up policy within the contract. So it's a one-time payment. So you make a one-time payment on the PUA. So let's say it's $10,000 at a certain age, 40. The actuary says a 40-year-old that gives an insurance company $10,000, he has a paid up policy. The death benefit going to be X. And you never have to make another payment into that little mini policy. And so that X then is going to be smaller, right? Because Mm -hmm. it would be like if you just went out and had $10,000 to buy a house, you'd have to buy a small house. Mm -hmm. But if you were making a payment along the way, that would be like your base policy, like your mortgage. You can buy a bigger house if you promise to make a payment along the way. Mm-hmm. and that is w- what you have to decide now. Do I want to take some of that money that I was making on the PUA and now buy another bigger house? But knowing when I buy that other bigger house now, I have started the lack of liquidity in the early years again. Mm-hmm. Now, why, why would a person do this? There's really two reasons that I can think of. The most prevalent two reasons are you want more death benefit guaranteed for the rest of your life, a bigger chunk of death benefit, and you're only going to get that bigger chunk of death benefit uh, from a base, a bigger base policy. And this is where all this, this uh, confusion out there when we talk about 10% base, 90% PUA's. You know, people say, "Well, those that's the best policy. That's the only one you sh- you you can use." But that actually limits your guarantee. Now, I want want people to hear this. The guaranteed part of the base, yes, is the same. But the PUA rider is not necessarily going to be the same because dividends are used to buy PUAs. So when you see people out there saying, oh, look at the guarantees. It's always going to be better for 1090. That is true. That is true that that is going to happen most of the time. But what they what they take what they don't take in consideration is that the dividends are paid on the base. A majority of the dividend is paid on the base policy. The higher the base policy, the higher the dividend. So to dismiss the that you're potentially going to get either lower dividends or higher dividends in the ba- in the future and only focus on the guarantees is pretty silly because we're using companies. Even the company that that talks about ten percent base ninety percent, you know, they tout the fact that that company's been around one hundred and fifty years, and they're and they're discounting the dividend potential, the profitable di- dividend potential that's always been there mm-hmm. for that. So you yeah, need to we, concentrate on the base policy if that's what you if that's what you're trying to decide, you know, going forward.
1: Yeah, I was just going to point out that when we're working with companies that. Pay dividends. Those dividends have been paid every year, year in and year out. And that's not a side, oh, by the way, probably won't happen, but it might. We're talking about a dividend that they project at the beginning of the year. Your illustration shows every year at today's rate. We know that's not gonna happen because either they're gonna get to year two. And their projections will now be higher or lower than last year's dividend. And you get to year three, and now the projections are gonna be higher or lower than year two. So at the same time, these companies have paid dividends every single year. That's a big part of your growth, even though it's not guaranteed in the policy. It is a really big part of your growth. You have a guaranteed interest, but the non guaranteed dividend is really what amps the policy up. And every time your dividend is paid, it's then added back to your guarantees. I mean, we're that's talking about right. something that's really critical part of using life insurance.
2: Yeah. And that's, so I, I said all that to tell you, that's might be another reason if you have a lower base policy to then start another policy that high, has a higher base, mm. because here's another thing. Um, I've been doing this a long time and we've gotten to places where we do a reduced paid up. And for people that uh, already have policies, they they understand what reduced paid up is. And that's when you get to a certain time, whether it's five years, seven years, 10 years, 15 years, where you've decided to reduce the death benefit and just say the policy's paid up. Well, Rachel, I'm telling you almost without fail. And I'm sure there's times where it hasn't happened. That's why I'm gonna say almost without fail. When we get to that reduced paid up, even though we've talked about it every year, and a person says, oh, the death benefit's not important to me. It's all about the cash value. It's all about the cash value. I just This just happened to me earlier this week. I'm going a, a review. Person says, oh, why, why is that going to drop next year? Well, because we're doing a reduced paid up. Remember, here's the original illustration. We, we, we agreed upon this. I don't like that. I don't want that death benefit to... And I, you know, I have to bite my tongue because I have to say, well, that's what you said. You want the highest cash value possible. You didn't care about the death benefit. But I'm telling you, as you get into these policies and as we get older, the death benefit becomes more and more uh, likable for that person. Hmm. So I know I'm not going to convince a 25 year old that that's true. They're going to say, no, I just want the cash value. I'm not worried about the death benefit. But I'm Unless telling you're you,
1: me, because, well, I'm not 25 either, so
2: just, <laughs> I guess I'm I don't just, count. I'm just telling you that, it's, that is important because the dividend is also based upon not only, and dividends uh, is proprietary, but, the, but from what I've gathered from the actuaries I've talked to, it's a combination of the base premium and how high the, um, the death benefit is, is how they determine you know, how they're going to pay that, that dividend. So the, more, the, the higher you can keep that, the higher your dividend is going to be. So that's the other thing I want to bring in to this. Why you might start another policy is because you say, okay, now I have all the cash value that I need from my previous policy, but now I'm going to start another policy to ramp up those dividends by having a higher base because I want to have passive income in the future from these policies. And the best way to have passive income from these is to have a bigger dividend. Yes, mm-hmm. you can surrender cash value. There's no doubt about that. But the higher the dividend, also the higher dividend potential to grow in the future. I'll give you an example. I've used this example before. Most of the dividends out there right now are hovering between 5 and 6%. Dep- depending on the company. And there's a variety of reasons for that. I'm not saying 6% is better than 5 And I know that's crazy because some people say, I don't understand that 6% has to be greater than 5 That's That's because they don't understand that's a gross dividend, not a net dividend. And you also might be uh, buying a, a policy from a company that has 6% dividends, but they haven't been uh, massaging their dividend rate and they're more likely to have those dividends go down in the near future than a company who actually... Lowered their dividend rate aggressively after the Great Recession, and they've been holding steady since then. They're more that dividends more likely to go up. But if a if dividend if interest rates go up, which I think everybody believes in the next thirty years, they're going to go up at some time. I'm not saying they're going up next year, but they're going to go up sometime. Mm-hmm. If they go up to what has been normal in the past, and that's a seven and a half percent dividend, that's not a two and a half percent increase that's a 50% increase. Yes. So, your, so your dividend payout will be just, 50% greater.
1: And just in case you're having a hard time wrapping your mind around that, because Bruce, I hear you talk about the difference and the, the change and why it's not two and a half percent. Think about this. Five percent is this much. Okay. If you're listening, it's hard to see because I'm uh, showing you a uh, start in the stop point. This is a five, two and a half is half of five. So if you're earning 5% and you add on another two and a half percent, that's half again than what you were already earning. That's why it's one and a half times what you were making when you bump up to seven and a half from five percent. It's not yeah, a two and a half percent increase.
2: Yeah. If you use $100,000, you get a five percent dividend, you get $5,000. If you use $100,000, you get a seven and a half percent dividend, that's $7,500, which is $2,500 more than 5000 are or half of 5000 which is 50% more. Yes. So, so what's great That's about- That's a better
1: explanation that, than mine. That's good. <laughs> that,
2: so what's great about that is that now becomes guaranteed and that compounds on top of the next dividend. Mm-hmm. And so if you look back historically, you're going to see that as dividends have gone up in the future, your cash value can be really supercharged. Um, if you allow it to be by having a greater base. Um, that, so that's really another reason why you might consider um, you know, stopping one policy and starting another one. In general, I don't like to say that. Okay, I'm going to be very clear. Because you're resetting all the inefficiencies at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But, it, but, but uh, the best situation is just to start a new policy and fully fund both of them. Mm-hmm. But but you have to look at what you're trying to accomplish uh, from one to another. Maybe it's policy design before. Maybe you didn't think that much about the death permanent death benefit. Now you're thinking more about the permanent death benefit because you're older. Maybe you had more children. Maybe you had more responsibilities, and you need more permanent death benefit. Because I'm telling you, there's two times when people um, – don't like the death benefit falling, even though they've told me they don't like it when the, the term rider falls off and they don't like it when you RPU, reduce mm-hmm. pay down. It's It's a weird phenomenon, but I'm telling you it happens all the time. Okay, so the last yes. topic I think is who should,
1: Uh, Yeah, I think we're going to probably have to save that for the next time. I think there's so much in this. So really what we came into this conversation today with was how to maximize your current IBC policy and then kind of transitioning to that idea of there might be a reason for you might be different from the next person, but there might be a reason for you to start an additional policy. So we just kind of have peeked into this idea right now. We are going to have additional um, parts in this series. Yeah. So follow-up podcasts. And we're going to be answering in that, what is the benefit of putting the additional policy on yourself? What's the benefit of insuring maybe a spouse? Should I think about insuring my parents? How do I think about this from a generational perspective? How do I think about what's not only best for me and my cash value during my life, but what's best for my kids or my grandkids or my wife or my husband or my parents when i pass away how do i think about the death benefit being a part of my legacy that's going to transfer and then how do i think about managing these multiple policies and who be- who they belong to which one we take loans from which ones we pay back loans and again this is all something that on a case by case basis is going to probably be different from one person to the next but the reason we even want to have this conversation is just that this is a relevant topic on many people's minds, and there are principles and fundamental ideas that will be the same from one to the next, even though your strategy and the way you implement it might be different. So, um, Bruce, we can um, you can share anything else that you want to share here, or we can leave everything till next time, however, you would like to wrap.
2: No, I think, um, I'll just wrap up by saying that uh, anything you do in life, um, it it's going to take action. And that's the most important thing. And, you know, Nelson, Nelson used to say this, and I've said this a hundred times on the podcast, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 70 years ago. The, the next best time to plant a tree is today. And if you want to, and I've actually done this on several occasions with our clients, is let's start small and, and uh, get a good feeling of how this works and then move on to having more of your capital stored into these policies. Uh, but don't get paralysis by analysis. It's This is not magic. This is a life insurance company, which is a financial institution that just happens to ha- uh, have a great place to have a Swiss, Swiss Army knife of different uh, riders that you can put on it. And it, uh, and it grows tax-free. So just don't make it too complicated.
3: That's awesome.
1: And... I'll just add on to that. Something in motion tends to stay in motion. That's inertia. If you start a ball rolling and you start building your financial future by saying, I'm going to start with a policy that I know that I can handle right now, you're going to open up doors for yourself two, three, four, five, six, 10 years from now that would not be possible then if you hadn't started now. And that continual motion is going to be much easier for you to stay in motion if you start now. So if you haven't started, get started. We'd love to have a conversation with you. You can book on our advisor calendar, and that is at themoneyadvantage.com. There's a button right in the middle of the page that says, take me to the calendar or something to that effect. And you can just go directly to our calendar. You can fill out a form and drop in as soon as I think two days out um, to be able to talk with our advisors and really just get a feel for what does this mean for me in my situation given my set of circumstances, my cash flows, my needs, my age, my family, my assets, my goals, all of those things are going to be unique to you. And when we talk about you specifically, then we can come up with a plan for how infinite banking could look from where you stand today to help you accomplish those things. So I invite you to do that. I invite your questions. I don't see any um, that have dropped in during the conversation today, but I'm sure there will be some afterwards. And please feel free to share those with us. If it's part of this topic, we would love to address it in the coming episodes as we uncover more of this. Um, lastly, I raised my hand when I said I am, even though I'm not 25, I look probably to be a younger person that would maybe not be as concerned about the death benefit, but I experienced firsthand the possibility that I would have needed to use my life insurance benefits two years ago when I almost died after giving birth to my daughter. And if you've listened to the episode, the podcast for a while, you already know the story. But that put us in a situation where we realized the death benefit really does matter. It would have provided so much comfort and financial assistance to my family during the time of grieving had I not made it. And thankfully, I'm still here. That 50% chance of survival, I, I defied the odds and thank you, Jesus, for for my life that I'm able to miraculously still live today. But none of us know. And that's really why the death benefit does absolutely matter, um, not just the cash value. So I'll leave you with that today. And remember that life insurance and infinite banking is just one part of a bigger journey as well. We want to help you with that whole process of keeping more, protecting your cash, and then making more with that so that you can truly build financial freedom. So in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking Put in your name and primary email address click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside
0: thank you for listening to the money advantage podcast today's show notes and resources are available for you on the MoneyAdvantage.com. if you like this episode make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast we encourage you to reach out to us at for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.